Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back. Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Thursday afternoon. A first timer of the Washington Post. A former ATLian like myself. Yeah. Uh, Michael Lee, longtime NBA writer and reporter. Uh, very, very happy to have you on the program, Michael. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. What do you miss most about Atlanta? My friends. You know, mm-hmm. uh, once I uh, graduated from college, uh, I lived in Atlanta for the first six years. And a lot of my friends from college lived there. A lot of friends from my hometown had moved there. And so I was young and, uh, you know, had a, had a bit of a social life and, uh, had friends that I hung out with and I, I stay in contact with them, but I just don't see them that often. And I have family down there too. So uh, I, I basically dismiss the people more than anything. Cause now when I go back, it doesn't look the way it was when I was there and that was a long time ago, but uh, I, I get nostalgic more about just the, the friendships and the, the parties and everything else that I did in my you early miss 20s. the traffic at all. Traffic wasn't that bad. I, I intentionally lived um, in Smyrna mm. and uh, so I could, get right to downtown on 20 mm. uh, in a relatively uh, short time. And if the highway was backed up, I could take South Atlanta road into the city and not have any problems. So I, I, had, I had thought it all out. Like <laughs> how can I avoid traffic? Um, and, uh, and if, and if I knew I had to go out to a friend who lived in a different part of the town, um, I would uh, just leave early. Yeah. Or leave late. Like there's no middle ground. There's <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. You're kind of trapped. Like uh, there's a certain window where it's like, hey, can we meet at like, like, nope, that that window is passed. I'll see you at like nine, like uh, <laughs> or I'll see you at four. Those are the two times I can see you. Um, I'm not built for it anymore. Being here in Knoxville and grad school at UT and going back every now and then back home, I go through the traffic and I'm like, I'm just not built for this anymore. What, what high school did you go to? Parkview. OK, yeah, I cover, I yeah, cover high schools uh, for a long time. Um, OK. So yeah, Brookwood, the rival, yes, right? That's our yeah. rival, yeah. Yeah, I remember those games, and I remember uh, I'm I'm gonna date myself here, but uh, when I was covering high schools there, the uh, top player uh, Parkview was uh, Jeff Francoeur. Yep, who was uh, an incredible baseball player. He went on to you know play in the majors for a while, but he was a probably a better football player. Um, he probably could have gone on and been a pretty good whatever he wanted to do. He he chose baseball, but he he was pretty special. I was gonna say he had an offer from Clemson, so he uh, he chose baseball over football slash he did. baseball. Yeah. And his his uh, when I interviewed him, his favorite school at the time, oddly enough, was Ole Miss. That was oh. a college that I don't know why. Like he had like Ole mm. Miss, um, all kind of stuff like uh, in his room, and so he yeah. was he was big in the Ole Miss during that stretch. I mean, obviously he didn't go to college, but uh, yeah, but yeah, he 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 was like every game you went to see him play, he did something. He mm. he was. Uh, almost like a mythological figure in some ways because he would make these amazing plays on the football field and then he always would hit like the game winning home run or something crazy so if you if you could script out a high school athletic career you i would put jeff rancors up against just about anybody's and covering high school football in georgia uh it's probably the same in texas i mean i still go to a lot here and cover it here in east tennessee it's just different. Like it's not the same yeah. kind of players. It, it's a different environment. And when you grow up around it, you don't, you kind of take it for granted, but yeah. you look around like the Jeff Frank cores of the world and guys like that. I mean, um, I mean, just seeing Darius Walker at Buford, I mean, you can go up and down the list of just certain dudes who 
were just clearly going to go to SEC Power Five schools, and they're just everywhere. Like certain schools just had four or five guys uh, yeah. that are going to play on Sundays, and you just yeah, don't see my, that in most states. My cousin played at uh, Sandy Creek with uh, mm. Calvin Johnson. Okay, so um, I, w- I would go to his games and just laugh at uh, how how much he looked like a pro in high school. Like he was so mm. much bigger and faster than everybody else, and he had a, a, I don't remember the quarterback's name, but he was just like just throw the ball in the air and Calvin mm. will get it. <laughs> yeah. My parents remember watching uh, Quincy Carter uh, when he oh, played yeah. Southwest cab and yeah, just, that, that was, he was so yeah, good. Those were some good teams too. Yeah. yeah there, there was so much talent uh, in Georgia during that time. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to sort of uh, pick like uh, the super 11 for the AJC. Mm. And, uh, and it was always tough, you know, trying to figure out who the best players were. Cause there was, there were so many and all of these guys had, great um had offers to go to different schools mm-hmm. and I, I was always amazed that there would be somebody who would wind up becoming a huge star out of georgia that we just overlooked <laughs> because their coach didn't do enough promotion for them or we just didn't recognize what they were doing at their schools or didn't think that it was going to translate to being um you know a great college football player or, or in the nfl so yeah it was it was it was a fun time though i i enjoyed traveling uh all the corners of the state of georgia and finding talents all over the place. And uh, I look back on that that period in my career fondly. It's so much fun. I don't know if I'll ever quit it fully. Um, I enjoy Friday Night Lights. I mean, it's a lot of football in the fall. If you're covering NFL and college and uh, high school, that's just a lot. And with a wife now, yeah. uh, there's only so much that you can actually... Uh, yeah, so I'm saying. You, you could do it in, when I was in my early 20s, right yeah. out of college. and Because uh, I, I would spend my Friday nights at, uh, at a high school game and mm-hmm. then my uh, Saturdays at a college football game, either at UGA or, or Georgia Tech, and sometimes I would go on the road. And I, would, I used to joke that, um, like, I, I would go to games and say Rome, Georgia, mm. and then the next day I'd be in Athens, and I'm like, look at me going to the Pillars <laughs> of Civilization and back-to-back nights. So, <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I might be in Athens, Tennessee tomorrow uh, for a playoff game, and the uh, Athens, Tennessee uh, head football coach is coming on after here. But um, yeah, no, I still love it. And be honest, it's funny, Michael, because I think we probably crossed paths when I was uh, not to date you or make you feel old uh, a little Don't bit. Don't worry, here. I am old, so I can accept it. Well. I think we were probably on the sidelines together. I was just a little kid. So I was like the kid, even middle school, um, when Frank Corr is in uh, high school, senior, I was patrolling the sidelines and just like taking oh, notes wow. and watching up close, like with Jeff Wid and Dustin Wade and all those dudes that like, I was definitely around um, watching it up close and all that kind of stuff for, for many years. And cool. uh, yeah, it's just funny that we were probably on the same sideline. And you didn't know it. Well, yeah, with, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I feel bad sometimes when I like, oh man, I I covered like I remember uh, when Sean McVay mm. um, wound up. Uh, you know, was he Marist? Coming, he went to Marist, and I was like, yeah. oh, I saw him play, and did not <laughs> register that this guy was going to be a Super Bowl winning coach. You know, but that's the thing. Like, you just cover so many guys, and uh, you cover so many games, and uh, you know, some guys stand out, and some guys that may not stand out that day. You you watch them play, and you know, they're out here. You know. <laughs> hoisting the uh lombardi trophy absolutely well speaking of hoisting trophies uh the milwaukee bucks have been quite good out of the gate um Giannis obviously being fantastic doing a lot of this without chris middleton which is pretty interesting i watched the i mean uh, me being a hawks guy watched uh hawks bucks intently and that didn't go well for the bucks <laughs> um but you know that was weird because trey didn't play and Dejounte was just unbelievable in the mid-range and they didn't really have an answer um for him there but you know it happens road game. They're not going to be 82 and 0 and all that. Yeah, but no in your estimation, that. Michael, why have the bucks been so good right out of the gate? 
leadership and continuity. Um, it starts at you know top with Giannis. I mean, you know, everyone is I think universally accepts that he's the best player in basketball. I don't know if there's much debate anymore. At least there shouldn't be uh, mm. based on his consistency and his greatness and just the way he impacts the game on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, defensively, he just he can shut you down, you know, in so many ways. Um, and then on the offensive end, he just puts so much pressure on the defense. So his his sheer presence um, makes a difference. And I, I, I remember I went to their the home uh, of the Sixers home opener against the Bucks. And the one thing that stood out to me is that Giannis used to be so aggressive and mm. he made every possession just gate, went all out and just went hard. And, and like that, that is a skill. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, he, he's got a handle or he's got a jump shot or he's got this. But the skill that stands out the most is just your, your ability to go hard all the time. And if you have that ability, you have that motor in you, you're going to you're going to rise to greatness. And that's why Giannis is who he is, because he would just go so hard and no one can really like you, you playing that, that long, that many minutes on the floor. You, you get tired, you get fatigued. And if you got a guy out there who's relentless, eventually you're going to break. He's going to break you. And that's what Giannis has done you know, throughout his career. And that's why he's had so much success. But the one thing that stood out to me was just uh, this year is how slowly the game seems to be coming to him and how he realizes that he doesn't have to go hard every possession. He just has to pick his spots on when he needs to go and when he needs to pick it up and push it because his his just his presence on the court elevates everybody else around him. And that's the one thing that I think makes the Bucks the favorite to win it all because they're doing this. They're doing this without Chris Middleton mainly because – you know, Drew Holiday's playing great basketball and all their role players understand what they're supposed to do. Brooke Lopez knows that he's there to protect the rim and stretch the floor for Giannis. He does that. Um, Wesley Matthews, just he knows he's there to defend and shoot. You know, you go down the list, um, their entire roster, there's not any confusion about what a guy is supposed to do when he gets out there. They all know what they're supposed to do. And they all know that Giannis is the key to it all. And he just brings a spirit to that locker room. He just, he's just a positive guy. Um, he's got an incredible attitude and approach to the game. Um, I think that the players know that on a consistent basis, he's going to bring it. And so if you got your best player bringing it on both ends and you don't bring it yourself, then something's wrong with you. And nobody wants to be the eyeball in that squad. And that's why they're playing so great. Do you think he's the same as the kid who came into the league or do you think he's evolved, uh, in a significant way, personality wise? He's definitely evolved. I mean, how can you be in the, mm-hmm. uh, anywhere 10 years and not change? Um, mm-hmm. I think that he has realized that that all shucks kind of cuteness that everyone loved, the smoothie loving guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he can still, you know, use that that charm to sort of endear himself to fans, but he's cutthroat. Yeah. He's, he's kind of like Joel a little bit. Yeah. I mean, but he's probably more so because he mm-hmm. does it, he does it with a smile. <laughs> you know, and but he always keeps that smile. He doesn't really cross the line in, mm-hmm. in, in ways that maybe Joel does, you know, in terms of shouting and screaming and maybe losing his cool. Mm-hmm. And but, he, but he, he he does it in a smooth manner, you know, like he's relentless and he'll and then after the game, he might beat somebody and say, oh, but, you know, I'm not the best. You know, Steph Curry's the best or Kevin Durant's the best. And in his mind, he's like, I want to destroy all of these guys. But, but you know, I'm also going to butter them up in the process. <laughs> uh and 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 know that you know in the end i'm 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 going to destroy them you know and that, that that's what i think is what you know has allowed him to ascend to the heights that he's ascended because he's done it in a way that you didn't expect 
but um, all of that is that fire is in him. You know, this is a guy who really came up the hard way, you know, in, in Greece, um, you know, being a undocumented, you know, citizen and having to hustle on the street and just having that drive to know like every day you just got to do whatever you can just to survive each day. He brings that, that he brings that intensity, you know, to the court still, even, even when he gets all the money, even when he gets all the accolades and, and uh, all the praise, he hasn't lost that drive or that fire. And that's, that's why I, so I respect him. And um, I like, I like, I like him so much because he just has this incredible spirit and attitude that um, a lot of guys at, that have reached his status would be kind of jaded and, and they wouldn't um, really come with it the way he does. But um, of course he's matured and he's changed in different ways, but he's still the same guy who, um, feels like he has something to prove. And I love that about him. I love that he's gotten to the point now in year 10 where he's like, I'm going to force a turnover late to get my brother in a game. And that's just how <laughs> this is going to be. Like that's, there's no conversation. Like that's what's happening here. And yeah. Uh, I, or yeah. he's going to say my brother's going to be on the team. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a good place to be. And make sure that roster spot is reserved <laughs> for him. Like if we, if we can, you know, make a, uh, I make Udonis Haslam, you know, a lifetime Heat player just just on the team. My my brother's gonna be there too, so he, I need him, and y'all mm-hmm. need me. So let's make me happy. Make sure I got my support, you know, with me everywhere I go. And because uh, I I think, you know, people don't talk about Thanasis a lot. Like he mm. he truly is a, a a motivator for him. Like there, mm. there are times when you can see him on the sideline, and he can calm Giannis in a way I don't think anybody else can. He can you know, motivate him and charge him, you know, tell him when he needs to go. Um, and I don't know if coaches can get through him the way his brother can. And uh, it was funny, like, that that game that I saw the other night. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he, he hypes him up, but then he, like, he picked his nose. Like, he, like in the middle of the game, he's like, oh, hold mm-hmm. on, man. You can't go out there with that on your – you can't have crusty mucus right there. Like, mm-hmm. let, me, let me pluck that so you look good while you're out there. You know, that's – that's the only stuff like that stuff only a brother would do for you, right? Mm-hmm. That that's not something that uh Coach Buzz is not gonna sit there and be like, "Hell, Giannis, oh, mm-hmm, get some tissue, like wipe that off." No. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that having his presence there is is something that is kind of underrated in terms of uh, his influence on that team. It's interesting too that he's year ten, um, already back back MVPs, but he's in I think the LeBron zone now, where like you said, it's just kind of understood that he's the best player in basketball. But that doesn't mean you're going to win MVP where there's like some voter fatigue now where I wonder, even with the Bucks, who are they look like a team that should be the number one team in the East, right? If the injuries aren't like doing this without Chris, they'll eventually get him back. And it seems like they're well on their way to gobbling up a bunch of regular season wins and being number one. I just wonder what he has to do, because you look around the league, they're not going three straight to Jokic. Um, The Warriors are struggling. It's not going to be one of the Warriors, most likely. You look at it and you're like, okay, LeBron and AD are definitely out out Giannis is going to be like kind of forcing his hand where he's like we're the best team we're winning the most games I'm the best player on the best team again like you have to do it because like I think for so many years folks were looking around trying not to give it to LeBron while also saying that like clearly LeBron is the best player in Mm -hmm. basketball but like we just can't keep giving him this award every year um we want to grow the sport like I will will say I I beg to differ on that one huh okay Uh, yeah because I remember in 2008 Mm-hmm. Uh, during the Olympics, I was in uh, China and I was watching that team every day. And to me, it was very clear who the best player in the world was. It was LeBron. Mm-hmm. And he's been that guy, you know, 
the fact that he had, you know, say a, you know, six year run where there was no question who was the best. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that that's legit. Now, um, I, when I look at all the MVPs that happened since his last one, 2013, mm -hmm. I can't look at anybody that won an MVP during that stretch and say that LeBron was more deserving. Mm. I, ju I just can't. Uh, 2014, uh, what Kevin Durant did without um, Russell Westbrook and, you know, uh, with Oklahoma City, he was the real MVP that year. Uh, 2015, Steph Curry, uh, what he did in elevating the uh, Warriors, you know, from a team that people didn't expect much from to being the top seed winning 67 games. He was the really, he was the MVP. The mm. next year, he was unanimous. They won 73 games. That's not going to be LeBron's year. Uh, 2017, it was a horse race between uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden. LeBron wasn't in that picture. 2018, LeBron had a great year, but it wasn't better than James Harden's year. And then you had uh, Giannis, you know, again, uh, and, and he went back to back. 2020, people say that LeBron was right there. I didn't think that it was even close. Mm. You go back and look at the numbers um, that Giannis was providing, the, the all the analytics, every analytic you could look at. That was one of the greatest seasons that ever happened. As a matter of fact, his season statistically was better than I, I believe it was better than any year that, that LeBron had. Hmm. I mean, think about that. Yeah. His 2020 was better than LeBron's best year. Mm -hmm. We're talking about one of the greatest players ever, someone who wants to be in the GOAT conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, he had a better year than that. Yeah. And people are like, oh, LeBron should be. No, no, nope. Because I also look at it like this. What what made the Lakers and uh, what elevated the Lakers that year was mm -hmm. not LeBron playing great. It was the arrival of Anthony Davis. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, last you might be years, laying out how Luca went to VP over uh, Giannis this year. And that's what I was getting to this year. Uh, the only person that stands in Giannis's way is Luca mm -hmm. um, because of what he's doing without having, um, you know, any kind of all star teammate. Um, the numbers that he's putting up, the load that he's asked to carry every night. Um, I think that he's the only real challenger to Giannis through the first part of the season. And uh, it's going to be fun to see how those guys duke it out. And um, but yeah, I, and I think it's going to be interesting, too, because one thing that I think that people kind of haven't been paying attention to um, the last American that I mentioned to won MVP mm. was Harden. Yeah. And it might be a while before we get another one. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it'll be interesting mm. to see how Giannis and uh, and Luca, you know, battle. I mean, maybe maybe a Tatum gets in the mix. Maybe maybe John Morant gets in the mix. Um, you know, as the season progresses, you don't know what's going to happen with injuries and anything else. But uh, Tatum but, probably oh, feels like the safest American bet over the next two to three years. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I, I would I would lean towards him, especially since he's been to the finals and that. Mm -hmm. You know, when you reach that level and you win big in the postseason, that that other and you can get to thirty points a game. Like you can you can see the scoring and the longevity yeah, and his positional role, value. That, yeah, the role that he's being asked to play mm -hmm. in Boston. Um, the fact that he's maturing, um, becoming a much more well-rounded player. Um, and they're winning, you know, they're, they're going to be a, a contending team for a long time. So he'll, he'll be in a run too. But, uh, I say right now, Luke, Luke is the guy that I'm looking at is, uh, the one who could, might be able to break through, um, and continue this run of, uh, European players winning MVP in the NBA. Absolutely. Um, I don't think Victor Wimbiana uh, helps this argument in the future. Uh, very, it's a lot of pressure on uh, Mr. Henderson uh, when he comes into the league uh, to battle that one. Um, 
Speaking of <laughs> Kevin Durant a little bit and mm-hmm. just MVPs and stuff like that, he's playing great basketball right now. Um, it seems like it's only a matter of time before that trade request gets uh, brought back. I mean, what the Nets, I think five and seven uh, at this yeah. point um, in the year. I think we can kind of with just the current state of affairs with Brooklyn, they did the right thing in uh, making Jock Vaughn the permanent head coach, uh, given the circumstances. Uh, and uh, he's funny. Like I watched those press conferences. Like Jock seems like a really nice dude. So when you read the reports that like the locker room has responded to him and that there's more, um, it just seems like it's a happier environment and the guys are happier. And then you listen to him and it, 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 it like it works where it's like, even yeah. if you're not there, like that makes sense. That kind of, that makes sense that Jock Vaughn um, is connecting based on what we're seeing. And you know, maybe you, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you look at it and you're like, I look at the depth. I just don't see it. It's just so much no. that I don't see a path, even with a healthy Seth Curry, that they can get to where Kevin Durant would be happy. Like even if Kyrie comes back, I don't see that path and the nets kind of know internally that like you kind of need to move on like you kind of just need to turn the chapter like harden's gone ben simmons can you really keep waiting and then you have the reports that kd might not want to keep waiting on ben simmons to get back to who he was yeah i don't know so disappointing what do you do like if you're kevin durant do you wait it out do you risk more of your prime in brooklyn or do you go look uh i did i've done my time but like we've we've got to part ways like this is well i I don't even though he's back playing, he's playing at an incredibly high level right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think his heart has ever really changed from where he wants to, you know, from where that he wants out. You know, I mm-hmm. don't think that, and he can't publicly say that, and he can't say, you know, um, you know what other moves he would like for the team to make um, because he's already kind of seen in a in a negative light because of his his off season, and he he doesn't want to disrupt what they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think that there's probably um, an agreement that was made, you know. Um, you know, when he met with the with Josiah and, and Sean Marks and they're like, hey, you know, just ride it out with us. Let's see mm. how it goes. If it goes south, we'll look to take care of you. Don't do anything publicly. Don't embarrass us. Don't make it more difficult than it is. Just go out there and be a pro. And if things aren't working out, we'll take care of you. And I think mm. that's 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 how most organizations would do in this situation, because it's already out there that he's frustrated and that, you know, he's not happy with, you know, how things are going there. So I still think that he would like to play somewhere where he's going to be a champion. And the one thing that I and I've covered Kevin for a long time. I've, you know, known him since he's been in the league, and you know he's from the D.C. area, and I work at the, at the Post, and so I've known him since, you know, for like 15, 15 16 years now. And mm-hmm. um, I know that I know that he knows that he's getting older, and that as great as he's playing, he can't be asked to carry that much of a load, the same load he's been asked to carry in Brooklyn. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think that people really understand or are being fair to him that this guy came back from a ruptured Achilles. Mm-hmm. That's that's a career ender, especially for a guy in his in his 30s. Um, but he's come back, and the numbers he's putting up, his field goal percentage, three-point shooting, free throw, scoring, they're all higher than they were in OKC and Golden State, which mm-hmm. shouldn't happen when you're 34 years old. But if he's going to win another championship or if he's going to be in a situation where he can play for another championship, he he has to have a young player who is either on his level or capable of carrying his team on nights that he doesn't have it. Because it's just it's just that's the nature of, of the way the NBA goes. Eventually you get older and you just can't do it that way anymore. 
But I go back to all the great players that have won championships in their 30s. And you look at the look at what they had. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, people put him in the GOAT conversation, right? He won five rings at the, uh, you know, at, at the, he won five, his last five rings playing with Magic Johnson, mm-hmm. right? Magic was a young stud who came in there and elevated the Lakers the moment he got there. But he's an all-time great player, you know, greatest point guard to ever play. Mm-hmm. And to me, my favorite player, my great, greatest player of all time. But he needed him to go that extra mile and, and you know start winning start winning championships again. If you go back to Kareem when he won his first championship, he won that with Oscar Robertson, mm-hmm. who was in his thirties, and he needed to have Kareem for him to finally you know taste that glory. You look at LeBron, the last two titles that he won, Kyrie Irving had to play at a level that was close to him. Mm-hmm. You know when they won in twenty sixteen, Anthony Davis. Those first two games against the Heat in the finals, he like he was gonna be Finals MVP. Yeah, like so he had a young star that could carry him. Powell and, and Kobe him. too. Uh, Powell and Kobe, Kobe mm-hmm. and Shaq. Um, yeah, you know, like you have to have somebody who is on the verge or coming up. You got to have young legs to help you. You know, and Brooklyn that. just doesn't have that. Brooklyn doesn't have that star. I mean, you would you would hope that it would be a Ben Simmons. Like yeah. he's a guy that. You know, number one pick, you know, all multiple time all star defensive player to your candidate. You know, if he can play at his potential, then I think that's that's somebody you would you would hope can help extend KD's career to where he's not being asked to get your 30 a night. He can do it, but it won't be as impactful if he doesn't have anybody else that's on his level that can perform at a high level. And the inconsistencies of Kyrie, uh, the fact that he can't stay on the floor for whatever reason. Um, you know, with all the distractions that he's provided, you know, he should be the guy too to take some of that pressure off KD. But in the end, it all just seems to just fall on him. And uh, I think that's probably why he wanted to have James Harden there, you know, when they made that trade for him. People, it was a bad trade looking back considering all the picks they gave up and the fact they gave up Jared Allen, who's now an all-star, and Karis LeVert, who's, you know, found a pretty nice role in Cleveland. They gave up all this talent and picks, um, for what turned out to be, you know, barely a one-year rental. And yeah. it's just, it just, it's it's sad because now KD's just by himself again. And so I, I think that for him to move on, he's he's got to find a situation where, like, say, a Phoenix. I think you just described Toronto. Well, I, I was saying Phoenix, you know, because you had Devin Booker there. Yeah. Um, and Toronto, depending on what they, they would be able to hold on to, um, you know, if they did make a trade. Um, you know, I feel like Scotty Barnes is probably off the table, but Pascal, oh, based on how he's played at Pascal and some picks, I mean, yeah, for me, but for me, it'd be hard to give up Pascal, you know, uh, for Kevin Durant and Scotty Barnes for one year. Uh, well, one I, mean, years. Be, I mean, because I mean, yeah, I think like, you I can mean, develop Pascal again. I'm not sure you can develop a Scotty Barnes type and what he can still be. I, I think you can find another pass. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think, I think it just depends on how desperate the Nets would be and what, what yeah. kind of, you know, draft compensation you can provide. Um, I think that that may have been probably one of the holdups to getting a deal done this summer is that, yeah. you know, if, if you're, if you're a Toronto, you're like, you want to try to keep Pascal and Scotty and then just say anybody else we can talk about. <laughs> it's like, well, then yeah. we're hanging up the phone. Like, what, what are we talking about? It's like, it's well, Kevin Durant. I, yeah. Okay. I mean, I understand, but you know, we'll still wind up, you know, with a better seed than Brooklyn. And True. you'll still be, you know, giving Besides your... Besides, got your, a good bargaining chip. He's like, we're fine. Like, with or without yeah. Katie, we're fine. I mean, we, uh, Scotty, uh, you know, Scotty's going to turn into a star eventually. Yeah. He may not be on KD's level, but... Um, so, I don't he know. I, I, think, I, think, I think Toronto 
probably is a, is a good situation. But again, if he goes to Toronto, say you give up a Pascal, mm -hmm. who is the guy, the young guy there that you can consistently count on? To I carry mean, Fred VanVleet, you can count on. I think OG and Anobi, based on this point too, like I'm talking OG's, about being the second best team player on a championship team. Scotty's close. Are we sure Scotty can't do it in his second year? Can he? I don't know. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I, I would love. I would love if you know, it, it'd be something to consider. But I don't. I don't know if I can. Yeah. Bank on because see, if you trade for Kevin Durant, that means you're there. Yeah. Right. You're like you're saying we're trading for you, so we're trying to win a championship with Kevin Durant because he's 34 mm -hmm. years old and. He might not be able to play at this level much longer, and so we want to maximize it. And if you're Kevin and you say, "Yeah, I want to go to that team and play there," mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you're set. You're setting yourself up to be in a winning situation because if you fail there, oh, Kevin Durant can't win. He can't lead a team. I don't know. All that, all the same garbage that you heard, mm -hmm. um, you know, that you've been hearing about, you know, since last year when the when the Warriors won. So. Um, I think but on that, the flip side, you could be like the Kawhi, the Kawhi thing where everyone looks at Kawhi like, no, he did it by himself. Like Kawhi led the Raptors upset and he was the guy with a bunch of role players around him. Like Kyle Lowry's he, good, but he, like he was, but Pascal Siakam was there. Yeah. And, and, and Pascal Siakam had 32 points in the first game. True. You know, he, he roasted Draymond Green in, in game one mm -hmm. and people may not remember, but like I do. Cause I, <laughs> I was like, this guy Pascal is eating right mm -hmm. now. And and I think that that's that's the one. That's why I say like if you are trying to build a championship team, you know, in Toronto, you want to make sure you have the pieces that you can depend on that can take you there. And we'll build the statue if he only has to give up OG and Obi and uh, some picks to get Kevin Durant. Because if you're able to keep um, Siakam and Scotty in some kind of deal and Fred Manfleet, that's that's a that's a good good team. Yeah, but I mean, like if if Kevin, you know, really starts, you know pushing the envelope and saying, mm -hmm. I need, I need to get out of here. Then, you know, what are you left with? You know, yeah. the thing about these deals is, um, you know, you, you never, you never wind up getting a return. That's, that's suitable. Yeah. You know, when you give up a superstar player, you don't, and also someone who's aging. Yeah. You know, this is not like you're trading for a, a 27 year old or a 30 year old Kevin Durant. You're trading for a 34 year old Kevin Durant. And while he's mm -hmm. still phenomenal, he's still, getting you numbers and putting up you saw the limitations in the in the playoffs when they got swept mm -hmm. you know so he needs help if he's going to be able to take your team to a championship and if you gut your team to get Kevin Durant he's back where he was in Brooklyn you know <laughs> man um when you look at the clippers they beat the lakers last night they own the lakers what is it like nine straight that they've beaten uh the lakers ron lewis got nine straight against the lakers yeah, that's yeah. in that's just incredible. Um, but obviously without Kawhi, we'll see. Very weird dialogue I'm about I'm Kawhi. Worried about, I'm worried about Kawhi. Yeah. I Very think... worried about Kawhi. Um, primarily be because, you know, the injury that he had um, is usually a year, like 10 months to a year recovery. Mm -hmm. And like we're 15 months beyond that. And he still can't get out there on the floor. And I remember when he played in the preseason, I was like, Hmm. I had to like kind of watch him because he looked a little stiff. He mm -hmm. looked like he was he he's always kind of had a smooth, you know, the L L LA guys, their their games are always like I call it the old man game where huh. doesn't like they're doesn't like they're trying that hard or they're doing <laughs> that much, but like it, it's lethal. Like Paul Pierce got the old man game and uh James Harden got the old man. It's, it's, LA it's guys, an LA thing. It's an LA thing, it's the way they play. Why do you and, think that and, is? 
it's just LA, you know, it's how it's how it is. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's 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 the sun, it's the it's the it's the beach. I don't know. So just how you kind of carry yourself. Have you asked there. him about this? Uh no, no, no. But okay. I mean Ru- Russ is from LA, but he don't have an LA game. No. He got, <laughs> he's got a Russ game, right? Russ is just one like you can't yeah. really compare anybody to Russ. Russ but is just a different kind of motor. There's, there's a couple yeah. guys from LA that, that obviously have an LA game. And I go yeah. back to like like an Andre Miller who played uh yes. you know, he had an LA game. Like it was like totally in control, mm-hmm. not not playing too fast, just like, you know, just kind of smooth with it. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh so Kawhi, you know, had had that, but this time when I watched him in the preseason, I was like, he had the LA game, so he's hitting the mid range and doing all that that stuff that you're used to, but it looked like it was in slow motion, hmm. like even slower than it should have been, and so that that makes that gives me some concern about what the Clippers can be because if Kawhi can't be top five Kawhi, mm-hmm. you know, if he can't be on that level, then I don't know if we can elevate the Clippers to a championship contender because you, even though they have tremendous depth. They got a lot of talent. Paul George is still playing at a high level. You you can't win championships uh, without having you know that truly truly elite talent. Um, and so, if he can't get back to being not just Kawhi but like Toronto Kawhi, mm-hmm. or even the Kawhi he was right before the injury, because yeah, I mean I honestly feel like can he make it thirty games straight in the playoffs? Can he do it? He did it with Toronto, and and, and the one thing yeah. that this kind of was underplayed during that period is that he um he was playing with tendonitis in his knee mm-hmm. during that whole uh, whole playoff run, um and so as as the series and the games kept building up, it was getting a little harder for him to get through. Yeah, but he also knew he was approaching free agency, and if he you know was able to go in Toronto in one year and win a championship, like he was set for life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's 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 a hero. He's like the ultimate guy who's benefited from the modern, like being born when he did, when he, when he was right. Like Kawhi is the all-time best case story of like, man, you lucked out so much of when you were born because if you were born ten to fifteen years ago, you're out of the league at twenty-five because your body, like we just ran you into the ground. There's no like There's the no knee stuff. Management, no yeah. load management. Well, it's over. I think, I think he's lucky that he was in San Antonio too. Yeah. You know, because uh, it's not even just the timing; it was the location. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he was able to, you know, go to an organization that understood the value of extending careers and making sure you're effective while you're on the floor. Because they they had Tim Duncan and was like, "We're never going to get another Tim Duncan." Mm-hmm. So how do we make sure we get great Tim for the for as long as we can? Mm-hmm. So you got to low manage them, and you know, and that helps you win a championship in Tim Duncan's uh, 17th year, you know, yeah. with him being a prominent member of a championship team. Like, so uh, for all the criticisms that you, you gave, give to load management, it, it really it benefit this benefited the Spurs because they were able to have a very effective Tim Duncan, a great all time, great player. One of the more, to me, an underrated um, great players uh, games ever had. Um, they were able to get 19 great years out of him, not just like, 12 great years and then seven eh, years. Like Larry Bird thing where it's just the back is over and then you're yeah. like, it's just gone. Like it's there's gone. no load management with this back yeah. and make it dragging this out. It's like, nope, the back's gone. He gave it at all. Yeah, Isaiah Thomas, it. like he mm-hmm. had a great run and then he hit like 32 and it was like, boom, that's it. Like, yep. um, you know, and I think that organizations know that with the money that they're paying these guys, you got to be try to extend their careers. But with Kawhi though, it's just with all of that, he's still 
has to and you're do getting older it's not like it's going to get better with age it's, this yeah. is not one of those things that gets better yeah so i'm, I'm i worry i worry about him i want to i, I want to see him come back and and play at that level because i feel like where the clippers were that year um they could have easily at least reached the finals and possibly won it all if joe Ingles doesn't run into him because he was he was just a monster you know, leading that comeback in that series, and I, I, I was, I, I, I feel bad for the Clippers just because they, they've had so much bad luck, and it looks like things are kind of turning around. And you got this great player in Kawhi, and you, you blow it in the bubble. The next year you come back, and you look like you're ready to to take it to that next next level, and then you lose Kawhi, and you lose, you know, a whole year to that, and you know, you lose that playoff run to the conference finals without them. Like it's just disappointing that, that uh they can't seem to get it right but it is fun watching john wall play basketball again i very much miss john wall playing basketball and him playing the way he has to this point it's very encouraging that's an encouraging sign it is and i, I i've known john you know since he came into the league because i covered mm-hmm. him his rookie year and i know what basketball means to him and i know how passionate he is about the game how much he loves the game how much it means to him how much he studies the game watches the game i mean ball is life for john wall and mm-hmm. to not have it uh you know, for most of the last four years from because of injuries and, you know, that whatever that nonsense was in Houston last year. Um, I know he's he's he wants to be on the floor. He wants to be relevant and playing again and, and having fun. So for me to watch him, you know, back, you know, considering all that he's had to overcome the last couple of years, you know, losing his grandmother and mother and you know going through depression. And um, I'm just happy to see him out there having fun again. We'll end on this. Anthony Davis is a Laker past the trade deadline. Actually, I'm going to throw two out. Anthony Davis and LeBron are Lakers post NBA trade deadline this year. Well, LeBron has to, he can't be traded. Oh, he's, I thought it was, he had no trade clause, but he actually just can't be traded he this can't year. Be he traded can't be tra- yeah. Once he signed that extension, they can't move him at all. Okay. So he's, he's stuck for at least this year. Okay. Um, AD, I don't know. Cause I don't know what you can give for Anthony Davis right now. And the way he's playing, I wouldn't push the button on the trade until he has at least, you know, a 20 well, game of bad backs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Don't I, get can, better can with I, age. Can I get a 20 game stretch of you out yeah. there playing at a high level? Like, cause what the Lakers gave up for him, you know, um, they're going to have to try to get some of that back. Got to recoup some of that. And if you're a team that says, okay, we're Anthony Davis away. What are you willing to give up knowing that he's had back injuries and that he's had all of these injuries that seem to come up, you know, at, at poor times. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, uh, I think the Lakers are in a really tough spot. They're in the worst position that they could possibly be as an organization because there's no hope. There's no chance that they're going to get better because they're a bad team. And <laughs> this is the worst part of it all. The pick goes to New Orleans. Yeah. So even if they wind up winning the lottery, New Orleans is going to have a chance to have Victor Wimbenyama yeah. and Zion Williamson for the next 20. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they keep that though. That's a lot of young talent and keeping a lot of personalities happy. Like, I don't know if Zion strikes me as the person who's willing to be like, yeah, well, I'm willing to do a co-star at, that was my biggest thing with Trey. When you brought in DeJounte Murray, I was like, I'm not saying it's not going to work. I am saying that Trey Young is very happy being the center of attention and being the guy that everything runs through. And it's just a huge we talking change. About, talking about different levels of player here. Yes. And we're talking about how uh, you got a seven three kid who true uh, can step out and shoot threes and stretch the floor. I mean, yeah, you know, it's just every, special in a different way. 
everything Zion does is right at the rim. So yeah. they wouldn't get in each other's way. Mm-hmm. And all they would do is just elevate each other. And it would, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want I don't want to wish the worst on the Lakers and see them. Yeah. You know, you don't have, have it's not even wishing. It's just, scenario. there's no pad. It's kind of like what you yeah. laid out. It's but like, there's no it, pad. I, I, th- I think that the, the issue that the Lakers have is that even if you trade Anthony Davis, um, the return, I don't believe it'll be like, it's, it'd be worse than say trying to get a Kevin Durant trade done. Um, Cause there's so many questions about, what he really is going to be going forward because people i mean he's he's like a year a year or two older than like Giannis mm-hmm. and mb like you don't think of him being that young but he's right there with them you yeah. know in terms of being a young guy uh who should be playing at that mvp level this should be anthony davis's time like this mm-hmm. should be the time that he's dominating he's 29 like he should be you know a force in the league you shouldn't be somebody you're talking about trading you know not because he because <laughs> you don't want him anymore like that shouldn't mm-hmm. be the case and the fact that he's in this position it just lets you know how bad the lakers have mismanaged their time with him and lebron you had two of the top 75 players two of the greatest players of all time on your roster and yeah you got a championship in the bubble but since then you haven't done anything right to make sure that you can, you know, maximize the time that you have with them. And it's just, it's shameful, you know, because as Laker fans, they deserve better, right? Um, if you have those two guys, you deserve better. You deserve to build a team that is, is that, that can win a championship. And uh, they just made so many mistakes, you know, you know, getting rid of young players before their time, making bad trades, trading guys who are essential part of your locker room, cutting them, doing whatever just not really valuing, you know, what goes into building a team. And now you're just throwing slop out there. It has been so bad that now you're in a position where should we trade Anthony Davis when that's just <laughs> – to me, I just go back to Laker management and just how they've totally botched it with LeBron and having, having LeBron – you have a LeBron and AD on your team, and you can't win. And you got Russell Westbrook, who you shouldn't have traded for in the first place, but he's still a really good player – Doing great stuff off the bench, but <laughs> that's it. Like none of the none Pat of the Bev's been awful. Fit. Like I don't know what yeah. happened to Pat Bev in L.A. But... I mean, I, I think I think they're gonna have a, a, a point where they're gonna have to just you know just blow it up. Yeah, you know. Um, Can we flip just... Pat Bev and D'Lo? Can we just go ahead and flip those two? Let's get D'Lo back in back in L.A. and flip Pat Bev where he belongs in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's that trade didn't sound too exciting. Delos days are not long for. Uh, yeah, if, if I'm Minnesota, I, I would need I would need a more traditional uh, point guard. I don't know if I need Pat Bev. Did you I see the Delo not be on the floor? Uh, oh my god! Yeah, he didn't realize on? Get, that he was supposed to substitute at that. Yes. Point. Oh my goodness. Minnesota is not. The, they should be more fun than they are. Yeah, but, uh, that's they're my m- most wrong day. team. I think from the preseason, I had them winning, uh, being the number one seed in the West. Where I was like, I don't know what they're going to be in their Western Conference like playoffs, but with the upside of Anthony Edwards, who I think is going to be the best player in basketball in the next two years, I still think that's coming. And you look at Edwards and I was like, the leap's still coming with him and what we saw in the playoffs and just where he's going. Cat, Gobert. I thought they were just too, I thought they were too quick to, to do the Gobert trade. I just thought they were too old. Like Gobert raised their regular season ceiling so much where I'm like, they're just gonna gobble up so many regular season wins. Kind of like what the Nuggets have done with Jokic and company, where I'm like, that I don't know if they'll ever get to the finals, but that roster looks like a regular season juggernaut to me. I just, I just, I just didn't like the trade because I thought they gave yeah. up too much for Rudy, and I don't know if he was the piece that's gonna take you 
to that next level. I just didn't see him as that as the missing piece. When I watched yeah. them lose to uh, Memphis last year in the playoffs, I wasn't sitting there saying, man, if only they had Rudy mm-hmm. Gobert, this series would be much different. No, yeah. I thought that they needed, um, you know, just they need they need to let Anthony Edwards grow. Yeah, you know, like he he should be their best player. Cat should be playing off of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you know, kind of see what other pieces you can add around them. But those two guys have to be at the forefront of what you're building, especially Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert. I don't see him. I, I didn't like the pairing of him and Cat. I didn't think it mm-hmm. was a good pairing because because then you put Cat in a bad position where he has to guard the perimeter, and he does not. I mean, he's nimble. But not that nimble. Like he's not, he's not like Anthony Davis on defense, you know, a young Anthony Davis who could move around and, you know, guard five positions. You know, he still he runs around, you know, like you could fake him out quickly. And that, that was just a mistake. I, I, I'm not, I mean, maybe they could turn it around. They're not at the total bottom, but uh, I don't, I don't, I think their upside was diminished by that trade more so than, um, than, than taken to a, a higher level. So, but back to your original question. Uh, I think eventually the Lakers are going to have to trade him and Russ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I think they got to at least go for a while because then you're just going to have LeBron out there in a much worse situation than he was. Um, so. We're going to see LeBron shut it down. We're already seeing like little signs that the leg and everything else. LeBron is getting ready to do a college tour with Bronny and go to Oregon and get, you'll see LeBron at all these different colleges, checking out different he's gotta, universities. He's got to break, he's got to break Kareem's record first. So I, I think that if you're the Lakers, that would be hilarious though. You, if you he gotta, waits till right then and the next day, it's like LeBron's having season ending. I mean, is, there's a chance. I mean, what, what's, what's this? Is it supposed to break it in like January or something? Yeah, it's January. So if he breaks the record, uh, in back before the trade deadline, you know, they could, <laughs> he could, he could get Kareem's record. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, LeBron, what do you want to do the rest of the year? It's like, all right, mm-hmm. I got the record. Yeah, you know, I can shut it down. Y'all can trade eighty, and then uh, and, and Russ, and then we, we you rebuild, and then uh, we'll talk about next year and what we do in the off season. But uh, but for now, uh, let let me get the record with these guys here, and then uh, and then and then we'll discuss uh, where everybody else gets moved. Because if you're a team trying to trade for AD, his value couldn't be any lower than it is right now, and maybe by uh, January. He, he might, you know, pique somebody's interest or maybe there might be a desperation from some other organizations like, you know what, we got to roll the dice and just go for it. So uh, it's early, but uh, who knows what happens yeah, once, once LeBron gets that record. I think uh, all, everything's on the table. LeBron's too smart where I think he know. I told people on this program like two years ago where I was like, I think LeBron's already played his last important NBA game. And I think deep down he knows that like he got it out of AD the back yep. stuff. LeBron knows the body stuff. LeBron knows what he can get out of this roster. He knew after the Westbrook trade and that was going, he's like, oh, we're at assets. Like he saw it in Miami where at the end he was like, okay, they've run out of moves to make. Like I can only do so much. I, I've maximized my time. He sees eight pieces ahead. Like he knows where things are going. And there was a reason he's brought up the Bronny stuff so much, I think, and playing with him is I really think LeBron is at peace with his MVPs, with the titles, because I think he also knows that he'll never be the best player on another title team. I think he looks at all of this of like, whatever happens, happens. I'm doing movies. I'm directing. I've got my hand in all these different things. But ultimately, like my kids are about to leave the nest. Like I've got Ronnie getting ready to go to college. Um, 
you got Bryce who looks like he's the better of the two. Like he's going to be getting a lot of college visits and he'll have to monitor like how that works with NIL and uh, <laughs> people. Can, he just strikes me as a family guy dad who is ready to transition to that part of his life. Um, and when yeah. he gets to play with Bronny, that's it. I think he's at peace. And I looked at it and I'm like, I think Bron- LeBron knows that this is all ending and that he like he was joking about uh, with one of the Lakers reporters last night. They're like two and nine tough stop. And he's like, yeah, uh, you think it's is- tough? Yeah. And you look at but he's <laughs> saying with a smile, he's not mad like the vibe oh, no. I get from I- LeBron. He's not mad. I think he's at peace with everything. I don't know. I, I have to I have to disagree with you on that. One OK, um, primarily because one thing that I can say is that I have mistakenly um bet against LeBron a couple of times and come yeah. away looking pretty foolish for it. Um, one time was when he was down 3-1 against the Warriors. Mm-hmm. I thought they were done. Um, the other time was when they lost uh, into 2018. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was uh, in 2016, I thought they were going to you know go down in five, right? Yeah. I mean, they probably should have if Draymond didn't get suspended, but that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then 2018, I said that, uh, I wrote a column that basically said that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were going to be the reason why LeBron went and win another title because Kyrie left him and Katie's going to be keep going to keep winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but then I, I then go this first year in LA, it was sort of easy to assume that, um, you know, he was just there, the, the Hollywood lifestyle was just going to take over and he wasn't really trying to win. Um, but LeBron is, LeBron doesn't really think that way. I mean, this is, I mean, he, he's, he knows how to play the game and, and try to, you know, uh, you see how he gets caught lying a lot, you know, in terms of uh, like what, what he likes to share. Cause he likes to be every man there, you know, everybody. And sort mm-hmm. of, um, and he wants to come across as humble to some people. And, but that guy, he, he's, he's a really intense competitor. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he would step out on the floor without thinking that one, I'm the best player on the court. He still believes that mm-hmm. even if he's like, I'm limited and I can't do what I used to do. I don't think he can admit it to himself that he's not that guy, hmm. you know? And I, I think that, that that part of the reason why AD, you know, probably wasn't able to take the reins in LA is because he still knows that LeBron doesn't see himself as the second wheel and never will. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're that great and when you've been in this position that he's been in for 20 years, you can't mentally check out to be something else. You know, um, Think about Michael Jordan when he was 40 years old. Yeah. He was playing and he was old. You think he went to Washington thinking that he was going to be playing second fiddle to anybody? But do you think they're wired the same? You think LeBron and MJ are wired the same like that? I, I think he's wired in that way more than we want to give him credit. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a convenient storyline to say he's not wired the way MJ is. I don't think it's negative when people but, say that. Like they but, use that as a slight at LeBron. I don't think it's a slight. I think there's not. It's okay. I mean, he's, he definitely has a different mentality. You know, mm-hmm. he's not the same. I mean, I mean, Jordan is like, Jordan is much more ruthless with it. Yeah. But I still think that LeBron's an incredible competitor. You don't, mm-hmm. you're not in position to be the all time leading scorer. There's a record that's been standing for 40 years. Mm-hmm. You're not in position to be a guy who could retire, potentially retire with 40,000 career points, 10,000 rebounds, and 10,000 assists. You're going to be a career like uh, triple quintuple, right? Yeah. That's, what you, that's what he's going for. Mm-hmm. He's going for a triple quintuple, which has never been done. Like you can't. But those are do- all individual stats, though, right? Like he's looking at it, like checking those boxes before the end, before it. Father time catches him. I don't think he's checking the championship boxes anymore. 
I, I don't I don't think that that's I think he he knows that this team isn't good enough. Yeah. And he stopped so though, right? So but, then at yeah. the very least he's looking at age 39 is when he's able to like play a meaningful finals game cuz he get, turns 38 in December. So if he yeah. can't get traded till the next year, then he's looking at turning 39 and then we're just like it's one thing to be the quarterback in Tom Brady and be playing in your mid 40s and being at the elite level winning a Super Bowl in your 40s. We haven't seen that in the NBA ever. We haven't seen the best player in yeah. on a title team be 39 years old. We've never I mean, seen. I, I think. I think when you reach the point and you play on real like really bad teams, yeah. you find other ways to motivate yourself. He does mm-hmm. still have a record to chase. That gives right. him a purpose for this season. But I have a hard time thinking that he's not wondering how I can get a championship before it's all said and done while I'm still hmm. here. Because winning one in LA ain't enough. He's even though he won that championship, he never had a parade in LA. Yeah, you know that wasn't his fault. That was COVID's fault. But he still has never had a parade in L.A. Well, you know, know who he's texting then. You know what's happening here. And this was something I said a year and a half ago that I still think is a possibility. The extension kind of clouds it a little bit, uh, Michael. But James Jones, his close friend, mm. GM of the Suns, mm-hmm. obviously uh, CP. I, <laughs> I always thought that he would eventually like the eight and once the eight and contract got made, like whenever that was when eight and got paid. That was what they were waiting on is LeBron playing the five to end his career as a center gets to play with Chris Paul for the first time at the end gets to go with James Jones right out into the sunset with uh, Devin Booker, who, you know, he would respect and love and the scoring, what he would provide there. And he's durable. Aiden for LeBron this summer would not surprise me whatsoever. If that's how he ended it. I I don't know if that's how it goes, but I, I do think that in his mind, he is already calculating the next move. Yeah. calculating how can I do what can I do to win the championship because he what 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 we didn't realize in 2018 like he knew that 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 the run in Cleveland was over mm-hmm. but he already knew that one when he goes to LA what are they gonna do I'm gonna get AD here mm-hmm. like I'm I'm coming like I already know I can get AD here we're gonna make sure that and what did AD do acted a plum fool that year <laughs> you know in in in, in uh, New Orleans quit on that team so he could get traded to LA. But he was right cuz no one remembers that. It's just us who remembers this stuff. No, yeah. it's just us and then Pelicans fans. But everyone else just forgets. He's like, yeah. y'all forget. I don't care. Like who yeah. what, none of this matters. But I, but I, you know what I'm saying like LeBron was already plotting. So yeah. while this season is lost, I don't I do not believe for a second that he's not plotting a way to win a championship. And he knows exactly what I just said. Mm-hmm. You got to find a young guy to to latch on to. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's it's sort of and I, I use this I'm giving you this analogy but like mm-hmm. it goes back to like you you know you heard of Miles Davis the jazz mm-hmm. musician right oh I listen to him all the time yeah well the thing about Miles is this every stage of Miles's career he will always hire the young fresh musicians to work huh. with one because it helped him creatively and he would be able to figure out new ways to kind of play his music and mm-hmm. he and, and, and then too. He would catch on to the new trends, and so he would be hip to it. But he'd latch himself to these younger artists, and it, it would keep him relevant mm-hmm. because he would be able to never really be obsolete because he would be on to the new style. Mm-hmm. LeBron is like that. <laughs> like look look at every step of, of his career. Once he started, you know, building his teams, mm-hmm. he you know he went to Wade. He was not younger, but he knew. Like that's what I needed to sort of win championships. And Bosch, who was younger, yeah. Yeah. So, but he got with them, and then mm. boom. Then he got to he got to Cleveland. He got he got Kyrie, and he had Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. They're both younger guys who could carry some of that weight for him. 
he could still be at the forefront and lead the way, but those younger guys are gonna have to carry him too. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to LA, he gets AD, and he's like, okay, who's the, that's the young guy that can carry him on the nights that he can't do it, or just or he's the guy that can elevate the ship, right? Mm-hmm. I can still get my numbers, but now we're we're actually got a dude that can protect the rim and do all the other stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, defensively and turn you know take us to another level on that end. So in his mind, he's thinking, where can I go or what can I get to make sure I am still playing for championships? Because I don't think for a second that LeBron is done playing in his mind. In his hmm. mind. He's not done. We got to get him on the program and just give him some truth here and be like, LeBron, honestly, Michael and I disagree on this. We need to see. We need to the final answer. How, do, how are you feeling? uh about it and then that, like, that's what i got i yeah. I, I don't i don't i don't I like believe it. i don't believe that he's content with four rings and four mvps you know i don't i don't believe he's content with that i think he wants more and that's that's just how he's built and i he he wouldn't have the numbers that he has mm-hmm. if he was just somebody who would just be get complacent i just i just don't see it i could be wrong but I don't we'll see. see what happens. I mean, this is why they play the games and why time passes and we can see uh, how this ultimately goes. But I think it's going to be fascinating uh, nonetheless to see how the last couple years of LeBron's career wind up. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I don't think it's going to be as um, just comp- like Kobe's was sad uh, where you're like, oh, this is just bad and he's just going to retire with the bad Lakers team and it's just going to be what? it. Again, Lakers. Yeah. Just poor management. It was um, a bad contract at the end, and it was just like it, it just crippled they, the team, they, and that was it. They, they made it a bad contract. Yeah. Because they didn't try to get him what he needed mm-hmm. at his at his advanced age. And and again, he was somebody that wasn't willing to defer. Yeah. I mean, they thought it would be Dwight, but Dwight had a bad back. And in that in theory, that would have been what, what kept his championship window going. Mm-hmm. But Dwight didn't work out because he just he was kind of damaged good by the time he got there. But you know, but then after they they got uh, Dwight left, they were they were screwed, and they yeah. they didn't they didn't build the team the way they could have. They didn't trade Powell as soon as they should have to try to you know give Kobe you know something his last leg, and they're they're repeating it with LeBron. They're not giving them enough uh, to make him championship relevant. So eventually, I think he will have to ask out. But he he trust me, he's already plotting what his next move is going to be. I, I like I, it. I that's what I believe just from watching him for 20 years that that's the guy that I've been able to see Michael this has been fantastic I greatly appreciate you making the time uh, for the program today what can the good folks check out from you over at the Washington Post or anything else that you would like to plug uh, before we wrap up here well I mean we've been working hard on this uh, black coaches project called blackout um, that's sort of examining um, the NFL's treatment of black uh, coaches and their inability to advance uh, to different levels. So I'm um, still working on that series. And uh, I have a couple of NBA stories that I'm working on. I just haven't had a chance to dive in as much as uh, I, I used to. So, um, but yeah, uh, the blackout project, um, I'll be dropping a couple of stories soon, I hope. And, uh, and people can be enlightened about uh, the journey of, of black coaches uh, through the NFL. Awesome. Awesome. Check that out. Subscribe, Washington Post, if you've not already done so. Won't miss it. I'm excited to read it, Michael. Thank you so much for making the time. And uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Oh, for sure. Thanks for having me on, man. And uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, we're back here on the Chase Most Podcast. Stats by Will is here. He's got actual basketball, college basketball uh, takes to finally unleash. Uh, he's already doing the scoreboard uh, box score uh, screen caps on Stats by Will on his Twitter account, which are a delight. Uh, Georgetown fans and uh, Louisville fans, you might want to look late from that one uh, for the next couple of days. But Will, we have actual college basketball to talk about. You're running. I'm getting my boot off. I'll be there at some point in 2023, it looks like. Um, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'll give three updates here. One, mm-hmm. uh, marathon is in three weeks. So mm-hmm. getting pretty close. Two, um, the scoreboard thing is just, it's, I promise, I am not trying to make fun of the schools. Not trying to make fun of like the fans. That's like... I recognize I've got like a you know minor follower base and I'm trying to alert people to be as interested in this thing that I am interested in. So it's like when Louisville is losing to Bellerman, who just jumped up to D1 two years ago, it's like, you guys got to check this thing out. Uh, three, um, uh, excited to announce some new employment. Uh, I'm the new PR head for uh, Twitter Blue. Um, <laughs> things are going really well so far this week and they've given us a lot of money uh I, I blew it all on candles but I, I think we're we're making some progress and uh it's a good sign that people are making contents uh called not adam schefter with a little verified tag next to it it's so bad it is such a mess and i've tried to like explain it to my family a little bit and it's just there's no point oh, oh you will never catch me explaining anything twitter related to my family yeah I, well, i'm I trying guess... to keep them away <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, I, I want to keep them away, too. It's just more of, like, why I'm frustrated about it and, like, mm. explaining why this is a problem and, like, how this could affect what I'm doing with my job and my career and the podcast. Like, it, trying to explain that is uh, difficult. Um, as Cedric uh, makes his way back on uh, to the <laughs> podcast. Uh, Will, you had a birthday this week. What did Cedric get you? Uh, nothing. He got mm. up at 4 a.m. That was what he got me. Ooh, that was really how does a cat get you at 4 a.m.? What does he do? Is it nice at least? Is it like oh, a meow? God, like okay, he, he he meows and he's just like, why haven't you fed me yet? So whenever the time changes, it mm-hmm. throws him for a loop. Oh, so same here with Khaleesi the dog. Uh, I've I've realized like domesticated animals are very routine based, mm-hmm. and the second that his routine gets interrupted, whether it's like we went out to dinner, or like the time change happens, he is just in a terrible mood the next day. He, mm-hmm. he does not understand why I'm not feeding him at his 6 a.m., which is now 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not understand the extra hour of sleep. He does not care about the extra hour of sleep. He wants mm-hmm. to get up at his time. Well, I mean, you're an early riser, too, so it still kind of works out a little bit. Yeah, and, and honestly, I do appreciate it because now I'm not having to wait until 8 a.m. for the sunrise on these mm-hmm. runs. Uh, that just It's really weird when you have to when the sun isn't rising until like 8 yeah, uh, but now you get the trade-off of like it's five thirty as we're recording this, and the sun is almost all the way down. Yeah, my wife hates it. Uh, women, I found Jer- very much hate the uh, the sun going away at five thirty, uh, five o'clock. I've never had that conversation with my group of guy friends. I've never been like, God, this time change isn't it depressing? It being dark at five thirty. It's never popped up. I don't know why. My mom, my my wife, uh, just women in my life, all very much opposed to it. Daylight savings time might get reversed just because of the women in our lives. Well, uh, th- that's how it might work. Um, did you get, do a birthday dinner? I'm sorry? Did you do a birthday dinner somewhere? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, stock and barrel. 
Stock and barrel. There you go. How was good. it? What'd you order? Uh, the Hurt Locker. Okay. What's uh, in that? For people who have never been to Knoxville, it's a burger with, uh, what is it? Fried green tomatoes, pimento cheese. <sighs> Shoot, something else. And it is really freaking good. Okay. Best burger in Knoxville by some measure. The only one that comes close is abridged. Abridged. Oh, is that the one in West? Yeah, that one's really good. That yeah. one is very good. Have not had that in a long time. Yes, that is true. And it's something you would never guess when you go by there. You're not like, wow, I bet you this place has amazing burgers. Um, that's cool. Uh, there's your East Tennessee Minute. Um, stats by Will. We have some college basketball to actually talk about. Specifically, the Tennessee Volunteers are back and uh, Tyreek Key might be might be a new devastating weapon uh for this year's volunteer team uh what did you make of the opener for the vols uh so one i was live and in action there on monday night um you were there yeah so one one quick comment up top best student section showing for a season opener that i've been to by Mm. far i was impressed so normally i don't expect much because it's like especially in this case it's a monday night the next day's election day like that's generally a sign where I'm like, okay, I'm going to see a lot of families here. And there were some families and mm. like old people. But I, if I read correctly, the Daily Beacon said Tennessee students reserved and used somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 tickets for that game. And it's like, that's against 340th in Kent Palm. And that's 20% of your arena. That's pretty darn good. Uh, I'm genuinely very pleased with the student support on that front. Um, but uh tennessee's got some interesting things to it right so Mm -hmm. they uh they took two-thirds of their shots from three which is something they never done before as a program that set a program record um and you know something that i was noticing is you know there's a lot of people who are all doing the uh, rabble 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 like they're all upset that tennessee took all these threes and Mm -hmm. you know on one hand it's like yeah you probably should have dominated at the rim against tennessee tech but you know, if you watch the game, Tennessee Tech was, like, frequently putting three, four guys in the paint. Tennessee was able to get, like, some points at the rim and just by overpowering them. But it wasn't like the paint was wide open in this one, like I frankly anticipated it would be. Tennessee Tech, like, packed it in and was just like, look, if they're going to shoot a bunch of threes, we're going to live with it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that is going to be a strategy of sorts for, like, some teams. I, I don't think all teams. And if, like, Tennessee hits more threes, it'll be fine. I think Tennessee just had an off-shooting night in a game they won by 32, mind you. Um, but that was interesting. Tyreek Key's play was amazing. Um, he, I think clearly, we're. I guess we're going to need a little more to say this definitively, but through two games, I think we're like pretty firmly on calling him like a guy who's come in well above expectation. Because hmm. this is like... I think when we were going over the Tennessee roster a month ago, and when I was looking at it for my blog, you know, the the expectation was like, Tyreek Key is probably going to be the sixth or seventh man. He can get you points, and he could factor into, like, late-game lineups. But it wasn't a deal where I was like, oh, Tyreek Key is going to lead the team in scoring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after the Gonzaga exhibition and after this, it's kind of like, uh, well, maybe he will, you know? Um, And And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, it's not. And he's like a classic bucket getter, right? Like Mm -hmm. he was averaging 20 a game at Indiana State when he was, for three straight years, the number one focus in opposing game plans. So he's got all sorts of different ways to score, and he scores efficiently, which is nice. Very beautiful three-point shot he's got. Um, And that's really key because 
uh, I think we can safely say through Gonzaga and now through Tennessee Tech, and it wasn't a shock that they did this because, you know, it's not like they're going to win anyway. Uh, everybody is using what I guess was like first, as you mentioned, Tom Crean's game plan and is now like known as the Michigan game plan of more or less like doubling or 1.5-ing Vescovy mm-hmm. as long as he's on the court and just saying, okay, Tennessee, we're going to give you four on three and a half or even four on three. If you can beat us, go for it. But we don't think you're going to be able to beat us. If Key stays like this good and consistent and if Ziggler starts hitting from three, teams are not going to be able to do that for mm-hmm. much longer. Like, I would not be surprised if Santiago has to just sort of like suffer through this for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Before teams adjust, if if Key keeps shooting well, if Vescovi keeps or not Vescovi, uh, Ziggler plays well, Phillips, Kamwa, Euros, mm-hmm. even, etc. But uh, or, you know, Triple J too. But uh, I think this is going to be a deal where, like, you know, Vescovi is preseason first team All SEC for a reason, but he's not going to put up first team All SEC stats as long as defenses keep committing to what is honestly like a Steph Curry light defense for him. I mean, they held them to 16 points in the first half. Like that's the other part that people are forgetting. The defense looked amazing. Right. And I think that's something that we got to talk about too. It's like, you can talk about doubling Vescovy and making Tennessee beat you in other ways offensively and stuff like that. But like the defense, I think is even better than last year. I think this defense is going to be absolutely unstoppable for the majority of the season i think they're going to be top three in defensive rating oh yeah i I think this is going to be clamp city uh julian phillips looks great um i i just a lot of the lineups they're going to throw out are just they're just so defense heavy it doesn't matter if you're talking about mayshack if you're talking about uh i do if you're talking about kumwa if you're talking like there's just so many dudes that they're going to throw out and i just (laughs) they're um they're going to be fine uh, on that regard. And free throws were up because, like, that was another annoying thing. Nine for nine from the line, and that's something that drove us crazy last year was just the free free throw shooting in important moments uh, for this team. But I'm not going to worry about Ziegler's shot, but I do think the fact that he took 12 threes tells me that, like, there's been an emphasis this uh, offseason um, by the coaching staff to be like, you cannot be the six man engine that could and just kind of defer and kind of find a no, 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 no. You've got to be, cause Vescovy is going to get so much attention in the backcourt with you that you've got to be, you got to be able to take those shots. You cannot look to pass those off if you're left open at the top of the key or um, all, cause he just loves driving and kicking so much. That's like one of his favorite things. And it's like, no, 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 not anymore. You're going to have to, you're going to have to put these up. You're going to have to take these shots. Um, especially when Tyreek Key is not in the game. But um, I was I was very impressed with the rotation, the shot selection, and I'm okay with Ziggler going two for 12 right now and then, especially early on against these games. Get these shots yeah, up, like build the confidence. Didn't matter, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I was, was I, like, you know, 1% annoyed they didn't cover the Ken Palm spread <laughs> to, like, help the rating? Sure, but who cares? You know, it was like, it's a 32-point win in a game they were favored by 34 in. Not a big deal. And yeah, like defensively, the uh, the key for Tennessee, and it's really through no fault of his own, he just is who he is, is like seemingly every lineup without Eurish Plavsic in it. And re- I mean, like the the kind of like key on this is Meshack, right? Whereas mm-hmm. like if Meshack is in, the defense becomes so much more versatile. But I noticed like immediately, anytime Plavsic was off, Tennessee was able to switch and, and, you know, sort of had its limits to if Ziggler's on. But Tennessee was 
at minimum able to switch two through five and then when they had key out there one through five defensively mm-hmm. like very very similar to what texas tech did last year when texas tech was nigh unbreakable uh defensively um and if tennessee can do that now along with the already really good defensive structure they have i mean i'm with you on top three and i could be swayed to number one by season's end i mean that they have the most versatile personnel they've had to date under Barnes. Also, I think we can't understate like Triple J coming off the bench and being good with it at this point. They've well, got. A... I, and I don't think that's going to last. But do you not? I mean, no. Who do you think I, they I, move? Uh, Plavsic. <laughs> I don't know about that. Or, what What I think might happen is that either Phillips goes to the bench for Triple J or Plavsic uh. goes to the bench for I do. Hmm. Because, I mean, Frank, like, it wasn't really, you know, like, Euros looked okay, but it was kind of like, I think we learned last year you can't count on him to be very consistent. And I do just, like, pops off on from the page in a different way mm. that Plavsic just cannot. And it's not really his fault. It's just I do's got the higher upside, you know? Absolutely. Um, we'll see what happens by and large, but good opening game from the Vols. They're going to be all right. Um, the most embarrassing opening week performance for you, Will, was who? Uh, easiest pick of all time here. Uh, USC, what is up with you? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, so not only, to me, this is like the basketball version of just being like, hey, you know what would be a great idea? Let's invite App State to play us in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, really stupid. Don't do that. Um, from experience. Uh, but USC... Like, guys, you did not have to play Florida Gulf Coast at home. It's been, mm-hmm. like, 10 years since Andy Enfield left. The time to do that was 10 years ago to, like, pay them back for taking their coach. Mm-hmm. Like, bring them out, pay them $600,000 or whatever, send them home. Um, Why would you do this now? I mean, like, they should have won this game regardless. But, one, extremely low upside to scheduling this opponent in particular. And, two... Um, they looked god-awful defensively, which is a really alarming thing for a program that's been pretty much nails defensively the last two or three seasons. And, like, yes, that helped a lot when they had Evan Mobley on their team and Isaiah Mobley, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they still, I mean, I'm looking now, they brought back about half of the minutes from last year's roster. It's an above-average roster in terms of Division One experience. Like, this should not have happened. And yet, like, I, I honestly thought they looked horrendous. They couldn't shoot. They were terrible defensively. Got demolished on the boards by a shorter opponent. Um, the the good news for them is, like, there's clearly, like, recovery time. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, they get to go to the battle for Atlantis in two weeks now. And they play a winnable game against BYU to start before likely playing Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we'll see how that goes for them if it's them. But, I mean, you look at their schedule, it's like, okay, if you get blown out at home by FGCU, uh, you get Vermont at home, and Vermont is always pretty frisky. Uh, You play Auburn in mid-December, that's not looking so good anymore. You play Colorado State, and we know what Colorado State can do. Like, this season can turn sour really fast for them in a way that I don't think people are anticipating. Uh, And if it goes south really quick... It's not like I think Andy Enfield would be in the hot seat, but you kind of got to start to question, like, aside from the Evan Mobley year, what has he really accomplished? Could they do better? Is that a good job? Uh, yes. I mean, I think 
I think USC in general and Stanford too uh, are, are both like good jobs that just either A, don't have the energy or B, have not had the right coaches. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we're, we forget that like Tim Floyd, <laughs> Tim Floyd did really well at USC. Three OJ tournament Mayo. bets in four seasons. He was good. Uh, Henry Bibby, that is a real name. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's like Mike Bibby's a relative. Who cares? But he made like several NCAA tournaments. He made an Elite Eight. Like, it's not as hard to win at USC as it looks. So, I does mean, it matter that like, UCLA is up so much right now? It shouldn't. Like, both should be able to coexist, I think. Hmm. And I mean, they did in that year where like USC made the Elite Eight, UCLA made the Final Four. UCLA is clearly the ascendant program that's much cooler, frankly. Like the UCLA mm. brand and image is way cooler than USC's. I'm sorry. It's like not only is it just like the history, but it's like the UCLA script looks better. The arena looks better. They do need to come up to speed on that front. But at the same time, this should be a program that's making the Sweet 16 like every other year. They they should be alongside UCLA and Arizona, like the two or like the three dominant ish forces in the Pac twelve, especially when like, you know, Colorado's kind of been down lately, Stanford's not achieving up to par, Washington is really blowing it, Arizona State, um, yeah. Uh this should be like their time to rise, and they look like they're about to miss the tournament. And this looks like a three bid Pac twelve which is horrendous after the last two years. And, I mean, new administration, we'll see. Bohm did not hire uh, Andy Enfield, and he's obviously been there a long time. Uh, Lincoln Riley in the building, a lot of NIL money coming through that maybe a change is a possibility at USC. We'll see. Um, Yeah, runner-up for this award, and mm -hmm. my God, did they come real close to claiming it with a bullet was TCU. Um. Uh, another one of it's like, what are you guys doing? But for a different reason, what mm. are you doing almost losing to a team ranked 361st in Ken Palm? It's fair. That's foolish behavior. You can't be out here doing it. Not after all the hype and honestly, I thought deserved hype they got. Mm. Your first performance cannot be that. Like if you win by 19 against a bad, like a terrible team, that's fine. Like just say like, oh, we shot poorly. Having to come back. I mean, they were down by four with a minute left. So, and I looked into this, like, while that game was winding down, entering opening night, mm-hmm. dating back to 2003, teams favored by 30 or more. You, you want to know what their record was? I'm ready. 540 and zero. No team favored by 30 or more had ever lost. TCU was favored by 35. It would have been the literal biggest upset in college basketball in decades. Man. So, the, I mean, like, they, they almost ruined their season on night one. Whereas, like, I mean... They live to see another day, and really USC does too. But like those are two, those are two performances you just don't want to think about as a fan. On a positive note, the most impressive opening week was who? Well, it's kind of hard to name like a team that like truly overachieved because this week has kind of sucked, honestly, in terms <laughs> of uh, like good games. When mm-hmm. the best game is Memphis Vandy, it's just like, what are we doing here? But mm-hmm. Uh, really impressed by Houston. Uh, mm. Not that it's like a shocker. Houston is Houston now. They're going to be really good every year. But many are Northern saying Colorado's... Houston does not have a problem. That's right. Uh, Northern Colorado <laughs> is a solid mid-major team. Like they're going to mm. battle for the Big Sky Crown this year. I would be surprised if they finished below top three. They're not a bad team. 
And Houston went out there and beat them by 47. Like, they held Northern Colorado to 36 points. And that's a Northern Colorado team with one of the most efficient scorers in all of college basketball and high-volume scorers. Uh, I hope this is right. Dalen Koontz. Uh, don't hit we'll the pause button on me. Um, yeah. But they held that guy to nine points. And it wasn't like he didn't take any shots. He got stuffed. Uh, Runner-up here, St. Mary's. Uh, results pending because they play Vermont as we're recording this later tonight. Um, anytime you hold Max Smith from Oral Roberts to 14, uh, I'm looking at your defense and I'm going, damn, they're good. Uh, and I am coming closer and closer to the opinion that they've joined like North Texas and San Diego State as like the best defensive systems in mid-major basketball. St. Mary's uh, they're the only team in the West Coast Conference, I think, that could potentially beat Gonzaga this year. So those Man. are my two. There you go. Um, big Drew Pember guy, are you? Uh, stats are well. You know, it'd be fun this year. Mr. Pember, UNC Asheville legend. Asheville, one of our favorite places. Uh, go visit Asheville if you're not already. It's a very delightful place. Um, no. Pember, former Tennessee Vol. Now lighting it up at UNC Asheville, man, big what if Tennessee, I think Rob Lewis was talking about on VolQuest this week that like, that was not a Tennessee call. Like, I think they would have preferred to keep him in the program, uh, but he went uh, elsewhere. So you can't really do anything when uh, the guy leaves, but Pember, he was an opening, opening week winner, right? And uh, someone that uh, we should probably watch going forward. Do you think this is sustainable that he could be one of the higher points per game guys uh, across college basketball this year yeah i mean like he did it last year he was mm. extraordinary in conference play in particular uh, i will say like whenever unc Asheville played like legitimately good teams not ucf um last season his results went way down like mm. so they played three games against uh quadrant uh one and two opponents last year and he shot five for 22 mm. but that's like that's just three games not a huge deal um pember the exciting thing about him is like there, there are certain guys where it's just like it didn't work out for you at this high major school but it's going to work out really well for you at this level but he's achieved well beyond what i thought was possible for him i thought like him going to unc Asheville was like okay he's going to be a solid starter mm. i did not think he would be big south preseason player of the year but one he's got this uh, very funny new haircut now <laughs> Uh, that I highly encourage everybody to look up. Just Google Drew Pember, UNC Asheville. Mm -hmm. uh, great hair. Um, but two, um, this was a guy who is not even the best player in his high school team, but he now, like, uh, I don't know if he'll keep this up, but I'm willing to say, like, he is going to be in the running at season's end for best free throw shooting by a guy like 6'8 or taller because he shot 86% from the line last year and went 12 for 13 against yeah. UCF in that double overtime win. Um, there's like a real chance the six foot 10 center shoots 90% from the line, which would be insane. Like he led that the Big South in blocks happen. last year. Sorry? He led the Big South in blocks last year, and he was first in uh, free throw yeah. percentage just in the Big South as a whole season ago. Yeah, and he draws like six fouls per yeah. 40. He, he drew uh, nine fouls <laughs> in that game against UCF, which is... Just truly really amazing stuff. His usage is 43% this year. Yeah. He, he, for comparison, he like, folks, like Trey Young is at 31. And if you watch a Hawks game, you're like, wow, this runs a lot. Like that is bonkers. That's Luka usage rate right now. That's insane. 
especially for yes. a 16 guy and doing what he does it's not like um yeah i don't know beard and bulldog legend uh drew pember so who was the best player on that team by the way you said he wasn't the best player in his high school it was a uh, quest glover who's now at samford okay um but like i mean what's exciting about this is one it's like I, I actually heard this on the MGo blog podcast to pimp them out again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Cook saying like he can enjoy Zach Charbonnet being good at UCLA because of Blake Corum, mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, this isn't a missed opportunity. We have this good thing, and I get to root for this guy doing this good thing somewhere else. That's how I feel about Drew Pember, where it's like Tennessee looks like a legitimate top five team, and Drew Pember is the Big South Player of the Year. And there's like a really there's a real chance like. The Big South doesn't have a defined best team. Like, you go to Ken Palm right now, and I know it's early in the season, but it's a four-way projected tie at the top at 11-7, and seven, and then two teams right behind them at 10-8. and eight. Like, there's six teams in a range from 161st to 215th. Asheville could easily rise out of that pile to make the NCAA tournament. And who wouldn't, like, one, I would not want him to be on the UNC Asheville side that's, like, Tennessee's 15 seed, for example, but if he's somebody else's problem, more power to him. I would be happy to root for that. There you go. Um, we'll see what happens. Drew Pember, though, do you know he has another year of eligibility after this year? That's the thing. What <laughs> if, and hear me out, given that Tennessee's got some front court uncertainties of their own, what if Drew The Pember perfect Kate Alexander uh, developer, Drew Pember. Yeah. Well, you know, think about this. Drew Pember comes back. Justin Ganey's son comes in eventually from USC Upstate where he hit like 50% of his threes <laughs> last year. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I wouldn't rule out Pember back on the walls next year. That that honestly would be really good. It would be, uh, for me, way better and really way funnier than Cade Mays coming home. It, uh, Yeah, that, I mean, I just think folks should prepare themselves. Um, I would not be surprised if they reopen that door. And... Uh, it, it would be huge for... Uh, for me personally, uh, when and, and huge for, uh, do you remember that video where it's like <laughs> the guy would like tweet it at Tennessee's opponents and the replies, and it was called Drew Pember minutes, Mm-mm. and it was just like pictures of Drew Pember <laughs> with the caption like he's effing playing, and then the final slide was F U we won. <laughs> it's it's such a good video. I have to find it. I need to. We'll, see we'll it. put it in the show notes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Wyoming. For the real sickos out there, know that uh, their player of the year, who was figuring to have a great season, he is out for six to eight weeks. Um, this is this is rough for Graham Mike. Uh, how big of a loss is this for college basketball and for uh, Wyoming? Well, huge loss for college basketball. And one, not a sickos team. I'm offended by that. <laughs> They're good. Um, no, I'm just saying, if you're like, there's someone outside of Will, and if you went to Wyoming, like, look, I'm pro Wyoming and all that. But uh, if you're like on Tuesday night and you're like, it's 1030, it's time for me to fire up Wyoming basketball. That's no, you just sicko know stuff. ball. You're a ball knower. Yeah. yeah you're a you're hooper. not like one of those sickos committee freaks. Anyway, <laughs> um, no apologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's bad because like he was, unless I'm mistaken, the Mountain West preseason player of the year. Like he is yes. a master of post moves. I freaking loved watching them play last year because Wyoming truly played like unlike anybody else. I need to pull up the synergy stats, but at one point last year, uh, and like generally the traditional average percentage of this is like 10% of your possessions. Mm. It was almost 40% of Wyoming's possessions ended in an EK post up. 
which mm. is just like otherworldly. Uh, they it was like Ike and Maldonado and nobody else. Uh, okay, it fell to twenty nine percent by year's end. That was still number one in America by a full five percent. Purdue was next up. So hmm. if you're like outposting up Purdue, uh, really freaking crazy. But it makes them interesting in a new way because one, I think Jeff Linder is a wonderful coach. I would recommend a few different Pac-12 programs hire him before it's too late. But last year when EK was off the court, they played much faster. Like their pace went up by almost three possessions per game on that scale. They had way more transition opportunities. And it makes sense because like when you roster this guy, you commit to a lot of post play. But when he was off the court, much faster, much looser, more threes, more drives to the rim with Maldonado and the supporting cast. So I still think, I don't think they're going to be as good, but they're now going to be interesting in a different way than they were before. And so I like they, they're kind of lucky that they don't play many good opponents in the non-conference. Like the first NCAA tournament level team they're going to play is on December 3rd when they play Grand Canyon. So they've got a while before they play a good team. But that being said, uh, I'm interested to see, like, since he's going to be out for that game, I would like to tune in and see, are they able to push the pace? Are they able to hold up defensively and at the rim without him? So, yeah, I, it's a bummer because I really like watching him play, but I'm glad we don't lose him for the full year. Like, it looks like we are with uh, Fardaz Amac. Absolutely. Um, a team we have not mentioned yet that I think um, you spent a lot of time thinking about and whether or not this could be the worst team. Not great when you're trying to win the Mo Wagner uh, uh, sweepstakes. It's your... Um, DJ Wagner? Or DJ Wagner. <laughs> that would uh, be awesome. If uh, Mo, Mo Wagner, Wagner was just like, hey man, I've got one year of eligibility left <laughs> and I'm coming home to Kenny Payne. Excuse me, DJ Ken- Wagner. Oh my God. I'm, I'm imagining... But I'm imagining Mo Wagner like walking through the streets of Louisville mm-hmm. and just like he is posing in front of the Yum Center with the KFC bucket on his head. <laughs> that oh, that's a new frontier right there in Louisville excellence. Excuse me. Very much not Mo Wagner. Uh... <laughs> he's going to Bardstown Road and he's not coming home until 6 a.m. <laughs> Mel uh, Wagner is getting lit at shenanigans. <laughs> oh, man. Um, anyway. Anyway, Louisville, they're bad. And my question to you, Will, are they going to be historically bad this year? Is this going to be a historically bad Louisville team? Um, so it really says a lot when they lost last, last night being Wednesday night to Bellarmine, yeah. a team that they were, at least per Torvik, a 12-point favorite against. Mm-hmm. I think it was like nine on the real line. And my first instinct was like, oh, that's not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> it's never good. Yeah, that's never a good thing. I mean, like, so if you haven't watched Bellerman play basketball, you should do that. They're an amazing offense to watch play. They don't dribble. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever you shoot 11 for 28 from three against a team you're a near double-digit favorite against and you lose... And it, w- and it could be argued you weren't that bad defensively. Things are going to get real ugly for you real fast. And I was kind of worried about this when they had the exhibition against Lenore Ryan. And, you know, it wasn't pretty by any stretch. But, you know, like you could just say like, oh, they had a bad shooting day. First game, first game jitters, whatnot. 
you know, whatever excuse you want to make, it's an exhibition. Nobody cares. Uh, it got worse to me when they came out and they played Chaminade, the, I think, also Division Two team. I just know they're like the sacrificial lamb of the Maui Invitational every year. Hmm. But uh, like Chaminade Someone led has to for do most... It. They led for most of that game. They had a dude score 30 mm-hmm. on Louisville. Uh, Louisville won, but they had to get some officiating help to do it. And then you lose to Bellerman, who is projected to be like mid-pack in the Atlantic Sun. Like, not one of the better teams. Not Liberty. Um, the source of this issue is that they don't have a point guard. Which, mm-hmm. uh, if you have watched a basketball game, sort of a key thing for being good at basketball is like having a guy who can run point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee did a real interesting experiment with this when they played Wisconsin like three years ago, and they had Devontae Gaines run the point. Mm-hmm. And uh, shockingly, Tennessee lost that game by 20 <laughs> at home. So that's sort of what you're playing with. Uh-huh. Um they don't have a point. Like, L. Ellis is who they have running point. He's the best player on their team. But he's a two-guard. He's not meant to run uh, any sort of offensive system. Their three, and this is going to make Tennessee fans giggle, is Brandon Huntley-Hatfield. He's the small forward. Um, he played the four and usually the five at Tennessee. He is playing the three because, like, He Kenny should Payne, only be playing the five. Yeah, he again, yeah, only play the five at most, at yes. most the four. He's playing small forward. And it's like, I do not understand what it is they are doing most of the time where it's like the best player right now is probably this freshman, Mike James. He's a decent scorer, not Mike Jones. Um, I know it'd be nice, but like they're playing Bellerman, man. And L. Ellis played every minute last night. He played the full 40. That's not what you want against any mid-major. They're they're giving Zan Payne, who is Kenny's son, legitimate minutes. Uh, Sidney Curry, who is like a backup's backup. I mean, like this roster is horrendous, top to bottom horrendous. They did not do very well in the portal. Recruiting has not been hot so far. I said like a while ago, you need to give Kenny some time. Um, and I'm still of that opinion. But Saturday they play Wright State. Next Tuesday, they play App State. If they don't go 2-0 and in those, I... This is horrible to say. If they don't go 2-0, and they might start 0-7. Because after App State is Arkansas, Maryland, Miami, Florida State. Florida State's bad, too. But Florida State is bad in a much different way than Louisville is bad. Florida State's bad because half their roster is hurt or suspended. Mm-hmm. Louisville is bad because they came into the season with a horrendous roster. Like, I mean, I look at this right now. And so the the Arkansas thing, they're part of a tournament. It's part, I think it is Maui, actually, now mm-hmm. that I'm looking at it, which is hilarious. Um, where, I mean, they're likely to go 0-3. So let's say, Kurt, like, courteously, they win one of Wright State and App State. Mm-hmm. They're very likely to go 0-3 in Maui. So that's going to put them, Jesus, that's going to put them at one and eight, heading into a home game with Western Kentucky on December 14th. When does it get too much? Is it just this whole year's a mulligan? None of it matters? So here's all the games that I am confident they, or like Ken Palm is confident they will win. And Mm -hmm. confident meaning like 70% or above. Wright State, App State, 
Florida A&M, Lipscomb. Hmm. That's four wins that you can say are like should be sure things. And I mean, like, given the way college basketball works, they're going to win more than that. Like, Ken Palm has them favored in nine. But even so, a, a year where Louisville goes nine and 22 and like four and 16 in the ACC, like, that's probably above the Mendoza line for saying, like, all right, Kenny, that was god awful and it was made us want to pour Clorox in our eyes. But we're willing to give you another try. I think. I mean, shoot, I don't know what his contract looks like off the top of my head, but anything where they're not at least like, I don't know, like, like, would you say that like two and 18 would be enough? Two and 18 is pretty bad because Louisville is one of those, Louisville is just one of those jobs that, I mean, they have an expectation of final four, not like there's just, I mean, you know, at Kentucky two and 18, you're gone. Like, you know, I think part of it, Kenny Payne. I think at Tennessee, two and 18, you might be gone now. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, and also, it doesn't help. It's like one of those things with coaching staffs, like new new coach, especially like first-time coaches. You want to hire a great staff around you to kind of acclimate you to being the head coach, and you want to have a good – people have been there. If I'm Kenny Payne, or like I'm a little bit nervous about that part of it, being Danny Manning and Nolan Smith are assistant coaches on this on this team right now so if it gets bad enough there are options even just internally uh to turn to because i think nolan smith will get an opportunity uh sooner rather than later and i think um we'll see what happens with danny manning if he i I think he gets another one uh before it's all said and done so i don't know i uh So, so here's the benchmarks i went to college basketball reference yeah uh always a good thing to be saying so Louisville's worst ever win-loss percentage in conferences, uh, 29%. So that's roughly 6 and 14, which mm-hmm. is what they did last year during the uh, semi-Chris Mack season. Back in like the 30s, they had some seasons where they went like 1 and 18, 2 and 14. In real basketball, where it's like, you know, teams are actually, like you're not playing like, you know, Farmhouse University or whatever they were called back then. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst record ever is 12 and 20. The, the So, man, if he gets to, like, 22 losses, they really might pull the plug. Which is crazy to think about, but this is Louisville, man. Like, I mean, like, it wouldn't be that irrational. Louisville shouldn't be this bad. No matter, like, no matter who got fired, and especially in the portal era. I it, Like, the excuse that I've been seeing, and... I, I hate that we continue to harp on this because I do feel bad for their fans in some aspect. The excuse I've been seeing is that, oh, they had the NCAA sanctions and investigations hanging over them. Nobody wanted to come here. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, you could have found a point guard from like even the freaking Southland Conference. Like from Alabama A&M or somebody. Like you could have found a point guard that is capable of running an offense. Like, you could have tried. You could have got... I mean, like, Zakai Ziegler was an emergency recruit. He was not supposed to play until he it was revealed that he was really good. Go get yourselves an emergency recruit point guard. What are... I, I mean, like... I don't know. I, I would like for the Kenny Payne thing to work out for obvious reasons. I think it's amazing he gets this opportunity. Uh, and I think it's really cool for a black head coach to be running... Like one of college basketball's most storied 
and best programs. Like that's stuff I want to see in this sport. But I mean, like we have to be real here. If things go south quickly, like if they're staring down like six and 25, it's, it's hard to see where the support would be for season number two. Man. Bad, bad, bad in Louisville right now. But we shall see. Horrendous vibes. Yes. They do need... Honestly, if Mo Wagner came back right now, (laughs) they would get to 500. That's a good basketball player. Can you imagine, though, like, DJ being, like, watching this, right? I mean, that's just... No wonder DJ picked Kentucky, right? Yeah. Like, there's just no chance for a flip. Like, you... This was an opportunity to see, like, oh, maybe there's there's something there. No. I mean, the one thing is, like, you'll play right away. The whole offense will go right through you right away, DJ. You you might play 38 minutes a night if you came right now, and you're a three-star recruit. Yeah. Um, Last thing, we'll wrap up with this, Will. uh, Stats that have caught your eye in week one of the college basketball season. Uh, nothing huge just because we've had, you know, such little to go off of, uh, but a couple of interesting ones. Uh, so one, as it stands, oh, dang, it got beat last night, but it stood until last night. The largest deficit overcome was TCU beating Arkansas Pine Bluff by 20. (laughs) That's going to be funny all year. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, like, so last year there was not a single upset of a like a team where you know they were like at two percent or lower to win mm. and there still hasn't been this year like and there wasn't in the COVID year either but i i gave that like a break because it was the COVID year like people weren't playing normal schedules mm. so to give you an inkling of how big um that usc loss was uh fgcu entered the game with a 2.8 percent chance of winning mm. that would have been the fourth biggest upset of all of last season so, I mean, like, it's funny, but it is like a legitimately stunning thing for USC, not only to lose, but to get smoked like that on their home court. And I mean, having watched the game, 13 was generous. That could have been 20 plus. So uh, we got to see them, got to see them figure something out soon. We shall see. StatsWill.substack.com. Rolling, cooking with fire, cooking with grease, whatever you want to say here. We got household names. We got know your opponent. We've got NCAA Weekly Volume 1, Weekly Volume 1.5 bonus. We've got <laughs> all kinds of great content over on the Substack. Uh, what would you like to promote as we wrap up here? That's why Will. Uh, I got a lot more coming. So next week, I, I'm planning. So the NCAA Weekly series is going to be like the big sell for non-Tennessee fans. Mm-hmm. That's one where it's like, each week, that's going to be like a breakdown of something, whether it's the coaches that I'd like to see or like programs that need to be altered or like a really important game of the week or there's hopeful like coach interviews coming. But, mm. you know, different analysis of that sort. Uh, the plan as of now is likely going to be analyzing these first three St. Mary's games. I'm really in on them uh, and I'm particularly interested they play North Texas on Sunday. That's the Will Warren game of the week. Uh, don't watch the aircraft carrier game. That thing's going to suck. Um, watch North Texas and St. Mary's play on, uh, I believe this is right, the WCC network, okay. which I think is just like, do you remember when it was like stadium and watchstadium.com? And it was like, you would watch Florida Atlantic play MTSU on there for some reason. Yes. I think that's the new thing but for these conferences. So um, hmm. whatever it may be, 
North Texas and St. Mary's are two of the three best defensive systems in mid-major basketball. If either team breaks 60, it will be an act of God. But it will not be like a nasty Texas Tech-Tennessee type act of God. Mm-hmm. It will be like, this is just really sound and fun to watch. It's like like the last year's college football national championship. It's just like really good athletes making really good plays. So probably have a breakdown of that, more Tennessee stuff. Uh, next week's top five is my Apple varieties. This week was my the favorite running songs. Mm-hmm. So a lot of good stuff. <laughs> I've got messages from... <laughs> There's an old person who uh, clicked on the article today and was like, hey, man, I listened to NWO by Ministry for the first time, and that is one of the scariest things I've ever heard. I was like, buddy, you are not the intended audience. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't. Hey, it's a customer, man. It's a customer. Yeah, that's it. Life works in mysterious ways. You never know what uh, kind of impact you might have on somebody. Well, (laughs) it's a positive. Run with this. This is great. I like oh, it. Goodness. Stats by Will. College basketball is back. Cedric is through the roof. Shout out to Ced. Uh, happy birthday again, my friend. And uh, we will talk next week. Thanks for having me on. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.